Bible has been around, read, adjusted, and interacted with for literally ages. Greg has read it so you don't have to, and now births into the world, Better Bible. Before we begin, as you will be listening to a retelling of Bible, please note that trigger warnings are in place for racism, xenophobia, violence, sexual assault, rape, child abuse, incest, animal cruelty, and more. Welcome to A Better Bible. We've arrived at an odd juncture. A couple of books that originally appeared at the very end of the Old Testament, or Hebrew Bible, they're essentially going to sum up what already happened, with a strong emphasis on how to worship properly and, can you guess? That's right, a huge emphasis on genealogy. The opening third of this book is genealogy. That's right, nine chapters that start with Adam, that one, yeah, the first man Adam, and does a family tree from him all the way up to King David. It's trying our patience from the very start. It does occasionally give a touch of colour by interrupting lists to quickly throw in an aside saying he was a wronger. Which, although welcome, seems suspicious. Like, I imagine the poor scribes who were writing these down and copying them from book to book to book just got bored and started adding little things just to keep themselves entertained. We see it every now and then. Like when Jabez is listed, it breaks to go, now this guy, he was kind of cool. In fact, right, in fact, God likes him. I tell no lies, God himself liked this guy. Like when you're sat in the pub with a group of people, most of them strangers because your friend invited you out for a drink and you didn't know their friends would be there and if they said their friends would be there you wouldn't have turned up because their friends are idiots to a fucking one of them. Like, you wonder why you remain friends with this one person as everyone they know is a tool. Does this mean that you are a tool but they're talking about history? Listing kings or something. You're nodding along, phasing in and out until you hear a name that you have a fact about. So you scream over them all, break their flow just to have your fact in the mix. You have no interest in joining in, it's more a compulsion. Yeah, Chronicles starts off very much like that. So genealogy, over and over. It points out that Israel's firstborn was technically Reuben, but they can't have firstborn rights as he defiled his dad's bed. Does that mean he spunked up in it? Or, Or did he fuck his dad? Anyway, right, defiled his dad's bed, so not going to be firstborn. Also, people were balans, which is why Assyria invaded. If you're sat there thinking, Greg, this is all well and good, but what about the musicians? I bet there were musicians alive at this time. What about their genealogy? (laughs) Don't worry, dear listener. Oh, nervous, nervous listener. Bible's got you back. More genie... Right, right. If they write Bible again, and I bet they will at some point, Could they not just have one book that is 100% dedicated to genealogy? Leave it out of every other book, just one compilation of the lot with family tree diagrams and everything. That would be good, that would be useful, but for now, more and more genealogy. It does also point out that all that genealogy you sat through appears in the Book of Kings. Uh, A piss take, mate. Right, let's have a spot of story time. 
Philistines and Israelites are at war. Philistines are close on the heels of Saul and are chasing him. He is running like a bastard and gets wounded. He tells his armor bearer to kill him. Yep, yep, it's that story again. With the added detail that God wouldn't want uncircumcised men to abuse him. Uncircumcised. That's God's issue. Anyway, you know this story, so say it along with me. The armor bearer says what? No, because he will definitely be murdered for killing Saul, who is currently still the king. Saul then kills himself. The armor bearer also falls on his sword and dies along with Saul. The Philistines win that war and strip dead Saul naked, chop off his head. His head gets hung in the table of Dagon. This all gets done because Saul was unfaithful to God. That story, we get that story again, smashing stuff. We cut to Israel telling David that they always really preferred him to Saul anyway, and he was their real king, even when he definitely wasn't the king, and David gets officially anointed. He then marches to Jerusalem just to let them know what's going on. The people who live in Jerusalem get a touch angry and tell David that under no circumstances is he ever going to enter. Dave does the only sensible grown-up thing and decides to ignore them and strolls into the city. These people opposing him are the Jebusites, I, th I think. And David puts a bounty on all their heads. Through fear tactics and, let's be fair, terrorism, David becomes more and more powerful. And what does Bible do to celebrate this? <laughs> no, it doesn't make Dave act like a bitch so God turns against him. Not yet. It does a list of David's warriors. This is an extensive list. Name of warrior, list of all the people they have killed, battles they fought in, all that good stuff. It's like all the info we read earlier, but on fast forward. Impressive and dull in equal measure. Every now and then it gives a touch of colour to the list. Like when it mentions three warriors, it points out that these are the ones who tried to help David. Right, David was thirsty and went, oh no, I'm dead thirsty and if I don't get water I may die. So these three loyal warriors went over to the enemy's land, found a body of water and got some. Brought it back to David being, what up king dude, we heard you were thirsty and so we sourced you some water. A simple thing really, isn't it? David refuses to drink it because he's a bitch. Hang on, nope. David refuses to drink it because the three warriors risked their life and due to petulant David, they risked their lives for nothing. Then comes a couple of throwaway tales of men killing lions, killing Egyptians and just more genealogy in disguise because that's all these stories are. The book now jumps back in time to when David was exiled by Saul and we get another list of names, this time all of David's mighty men, which not only sounds ridiculous, but is tedious as well. List after bastard list of mighty Morphin power men. A few of these names though aren't the same as the minor prophets from later on, might be the same people, I'm gonna go with yes. We get a heads up of all the minor prophets already. David is letting pretty much everyone join him, right? Threatening them all. Letting them know if they fuck around, they will find out. But if they're faithful to him, nothing but success forever to all of them. Which is nice in a Bible kind of way. The book lists all the men who leave Saul to join David and all these men listed in this book want to make David king, so they do. David decides to have a lovely chat, telling them that they should join him, it's God's will, all that stuff and they want to go grab the Ark of 
God, he's gonna need that. So off they go. Everyone is down for this. They go find it and grab it and they get it from Abinadab's house and start moving it. They're singing and dancing. Are there any trumpets, Greg? You bet your sweet ass there are trumpets. Okay, so as they're busy transporting the Ark of God, the oxen that are carrying it stumble a little bit and holy Moses, it looks like the Ark may fall. This would be awful, the content spilling out everywhere, essentially God getting loose and running off like a naughty, naughty God. They would have to acquire some God treats, look around for him, searching in bins, bushes, churches, next door. If God gets out, he could be anywhere. So one of them thinks quickly and throws his arm out to study the currently unsteady Ark of God to save everything and stop all hell breaking loose. Or all god breaking loose but the silly rabbit he touched it in an improper way which makes god furious and consequently the guy gets fucked up god kills him for daring to try to help out a little bit david gets a little bit scared by this so just kind of fucks the ark off into some guy's house for a bit well that's enough of that we get a jarring cut to david having loads of wives and loads of kids philistines start looking for him as new king in it uh, god helps david cheat so the philistines get got lovely stuff so with david being all powerful because cheating he starts making some nice buildings for himself making himself a house fit for a king giggling at this you see i am an actual king so of course it should be fit for a king i'm using that phrase which usually refers to something being surprisingly opulent but in this instance it's surprisingly simple because it's an appropriate level of comfort yes very good david but hark god in his little god box is just living in a tent presumably by now they have moved the ark fucking carefully out of the random guy's house and into this holy tent david thinks this isn't very good god deserves a temple and a temple he shall get he calls all the levites over and instructs them how to pray and look after the ark so they are the only ones who can touch it remember they'll probably that'll probably be why the poor non-gene wearing prick got got earlier once everyone has been instructed on how to deal with the ark and david does a dance witnessed by saul's daughter she's livid but doesn't matter as she gets literally one sentence and we move on fuck you Saulette. david gives out some cake so people can get comfy and ready for him to read out a prayer it's a simple thing just saying god is good remember he is good tell everyone he is good remember what he did in the past good wasn't it i reckon he'll be good in the future too he is the best of all gods after doing the prayer poem david buggers off david is still unhappy about god not having a house and wants to build him one again we have god telling him to calm his passions and that his son will deal with it it's not a job for warrior david it'll be for pussy solomon David, so happy with this, he goes on to continue being all warmongery and killing pretty much anyone who's near him, regardless of whether or not they're any threat. So this goes on and everyone knows what a massive violent tool David is and that he's not to be trusted. So when he sends some messages over to Ammonite to offer condolences, that's right. It's that story again. The king being suspicious, so shaves beards and reveals bums. All that story we get in great detail. Not new details, just copy and pasted from earlier and plonked right down here, wasting more of our time. Thanks, Bible. Now, 
we get a mention of Satan, who I can only assume to be Satan as in the job title. You know, the adversary, the plausible deniability doing God's dirty work. That Satan. Well, using evil, Satan convinces David to count his troops, which for some reason infuriates God no end. God lets David know he's going to be punished for trying to do a list, which you get why David would be confused as this whole book is just lists, so it makes sense that more would be wanted. But then, on the other hand, I understand why God is furious. I am not happy about these lists either. Anyway, God gives David three options of how he is to be punished. Three years of famine, three months of being fucked by all his enemies, three days of God's direct wrath. David foolishly goes for the three days, thinking that that's not too long, but God sends some angels down who absolutely annihilate everything, all up until God decides mercy is needed because I guess he didn't mean it when he said he would punish David. Who knows the mind of this mental God. David builds an altar, and where the altar is, that's going to be the location of the temple. David is now wallowed and makes Solomon, his peace-loving pussy son, king. But Solomon is just a child, so everyone thinks to look after him. But who is everyone? We get a fuckload of lists of each bastard person. Do not worry. David is backseat DMing like a bastard here, instructing everyone on what to do and how to help out his son, who by now is genuinely officially king. David, on his deathbed, speaking far too much for my liking, giving rules for worship, lists of musicians, lists of gatekeepers, of priests, of everyone. Just on and on he goes. This book reads like a fucking organogram. David, just before dying, still just before dying, does some bragging about how much God specifically loved his family, how he is rich, his people are all good, everyone listening, probably getting a bit fed up. I wish he'd hurry up and fucking die. Oh, look at me, I'm David, and God thinks I'm better than you. Well, yeah, right. Well, maybe God likes me as well. You don't know. So David does a brief recap. His son is young and shit. Everyone is to help. Here's a prayer, more shit about the temple, and finally acknowledging, again, that Solomon is king. David dies and the book ends with one last little bit of urination directly in the reader's unwilling face and mouth saying, Oh, by the way, uh, all this and more is in the book of Samuel. <laughs> Wasted your time, didn't we? And no mistake, mate, you've read through all this shit, did you? You fucking idiot. It's just a fucking prophecies of what you've already read. Read this one instead, sure, but don't read it now, you absolute idiot. <laughs> Maybe Chronicles 2 will be new stuff? Or more lists? Nah, fuck it, at least David's dead. Thank you for listening to A Better Bible. Now we need you to spread the word. Rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow the Twitter in the episode description and let us know how we changed your life, why you love us, how you need us. Share this with the world. Evangelize like a bastard. <laughs>